So today we're going to be wrapping up our series called Awaken. And if this is your first time here, or if you've missed a couple of the weeks, this is our September series, Walking Through the Theology, the Knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And my name is Jordan. As I said in the welcome, I'm the online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here. And today's message is one of my favorite theologies of the Holy Spirit. But to just recap before we dive in what we're going to be talking about for this series, Kim kicked us off four weeks ago talking about what it looks like for us to awaken the Holy Spirit within us. Answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Perhaps you are new to the church, new to God, and anytime you've seen this spirit language throughout scriptures, it may be new to you. And so friends, it's, it's really simple to understand. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God on earth and the person of God on earth in us when we allow him to be, to dwell among us. Just as Jesus walked the earth and was God and is God and dwelt on the earth, the Holy Spirit is God and the person of God inside of us when we accept Christ as our Savior. That was week one. And then week two, I continued our series talking about spiritual gifts. And so if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as we accept Christ as our Savior, we are then blessed with spiritual gifts. Now, gifts are not just talents, things you're good at. Different scholars and theologians and pastors debate on how many spiritual gifts there actually are that the Holy Spirit blesses the church with. I think that debate is kind of a waste of time. I believe that the Spirit works and moves, and there's anywhere from 8 to 18 spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture. But there are gifts such as wisdom and encouragement and discernment and service and generosity and administration and so on and so forth. And there are gifts that were given to the church to build the church up and to glorify God by ushering in the kingdom of heaven on earth as is in heaven. And that was week number two. Then last week, Kim continued our series by talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Found in Galatians chapter five, this fruit that is cultivated in us and grown in us as we Lean into God. When you have the Holy Spirit, you are blessed with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so as you have the Holy Spirit, those are fruit. That is the fruit of the Spirit that lives inside of you. And we are called as the church to cultivate that fruit, to grow that fruit by praying and leaning in to the character of God. And as we grow in our relationship with God and lean in and grow closer and develop that fruit comes through our life and shines through us onto other people. And today, like I said, is probably my favorite theology of the Holy Spirit going to be the last one that we're going to be talking about today is the Holy Spirit, the one who intercedes for us in our suffering. The one who intercedes for us in our suffering. We're going to answer this question. Perhaps this is a question that you've asked before. I want to ask it. When life is hell, where is God? When life is hell, 
where is God? And you can fill that word hell in with pretty much any other word when life is lonely, where is God? When addiction is tempting and daunting and exhausting, where is God? When the finances aren't working out, where is God? When the abuse that you've perhaps experienced in your past continues to haunt you, where is God? When the future of of what is to be is unknown and is scary or is exhausting to think about, where is God? Life is hell, where is God? And it's this theology that we see just just woven throughout the scriptures because uh, here's, here's the reality, friends. For whatever reason, the church in the West has become consumed by apathy and comfort that whenever we suffer, we believe that God has abandoned us. Or whenever we've experienced loss, we say there's no way this could be God or there's no way God's foot could be present president of the Barna Research Group, this research group that uh, just surveys thousands and thousands of, of Americans and Christians all the way from Generation Alpha to Silent Generation, trying to figure out how the church clicks and works and thinks and feels. David Kinnaman just released this book and, and released this research, and he has this quote that I saw this week that was so powerful. He says, We've prepared this generation for success, but we haven't prepared this generation to suffer. Think about that for a second. For whatever reason, we've grown up with this kind of this theology, this concept, this belief that if God is good, suffering shouldn't exist. And perhaps... You've even asked the question, it's this question of, of theodicy, this, this theology of theodicy. Theodicy is the, the, uh, the, the study of God in a suffering world. And so perhaps you've dwelt on the question, if God is so good, then why does suffering exist? And I'll share at the end, that's, that's the improper question to actually be asking. But before we get to that, I want to walk us through Romans chapter 8. The theology of the Holy Spirit, the one who intercedes for us in our suffering. Paul, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be picking up in verse 17 and reading 10 verses and really diving deep and breaking down each verse. But Paul and his church to Rome, it's so fascinating to know this, that he's, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome while he is in prison. And he's about to be talking about suffering and this God. And and he's got these passages as he's imprisoned where he says, I boast in my suffering. Because Paul understood that suffering, whether it is for God or just simply because life hits you sometimes, doesn't mean that your world is void of God. But for whatever reason, we've grown up with this belief that if we follow God, if we tithe, if we give, if we read scripture, if we pray, if we treat people well, that we're just going to have this prosperous life and that we're going to be blessed. But then Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, when he goes through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, he shows us what it really means to be blessed. Blessed is the mourning. Blessed is the persecuted. Blessed are the least of these. 
for they will be called children of God. And so Paul believes this theology. And he's in prison, and he writes, and he pens some of this this powerful theology to the church in Rome, these Christians that are being persecuted uh, uh, by by the Roman Empire, and he wants them to know this. This is what Paul says, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 17. He wants us to believe this. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. But understand this, church. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Our intern, Nick Wadman, this week did a devotional on our online campus talking about this verse. And he showed us that if we are going to experience the rewards of heaven and of eternity that it makes it more genuine when we buy in with our suffering. And he gave this analogy of athletes, and he talked about how athletes grind all off season for just a chance at that, uh, that ultimate prize. They, they sweat, and they bleed, and there's, there's injuries, and there's exhaustion. And it's the same way with us as Christ followers. Paul wants to remind the church in Rome that if we are going to be accepted and experiencing of that glory, we also, as heirs of Christ's kingdom, will suffer. Verse 18, Paul continues and he says this, for I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's so powerful for you to understand this belief and this mindset and this theology, friends, is that This isn't just glory that is being revealed around us. We have this concept of when we die, we go to heaven. That's bad theology, okay? We aren't going to some place that is all around us. Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in from heaven on earth, redeeming all of creation. And we're gonna see that theology in just the next couple of verses. Your life should not be about dying and going, It should be about living and ushering, about living in such a way that you expand and you help redeem and you help reconcile, ushering in the kingdom of God as Jesus prays on earth as is in heaven. And so he says, I consider that our present suffering, what you are experiencing today is in no compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. The Holy Spirit revealing glory in us, working through us, walking with us as we suffer. And this is where we see that theology coming up of of the earth being transformed and renewed for verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul says, he uses that word creation because once again, I think we've grown up with this belief that it's human's alone who will be transformed and renewed and redeemed and that we are going to die here and then go somewhere. But God's whole goal all the way from Eden and Genesis chapter three when we have the fall of humanity and creation is not to just redeem humans. It's to redeem humans and all of creation. 
New Jerusalem is this language we see in Revelation chapter 21, the last book in the Bible, where John, as he's writing, he's talking about this theology that all of creation is suffering. And so God's vision for the new earth, for new heaven, new earth, is to redeem all of creation. And so creation is waiting for the children of God, those who have accepted Christ and Christ's second coming to be revealed. Why? Well, he picks it up in verse 20, and he says this, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it. Why? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation, he writes a little bit earlier, is eagerly expectant of the day when God redeems and releases from the decay, the sin, the turmoil, the brokenness, the suffering. That day is coming. So in encouraging that, he says this in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, really pay attention to this, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, so important. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Verse 25, but we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. And I want to stop there for just a second. Uh, Last week, Kim talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, this isn't going to be on the screen. I just want to read the fruit of the Spirit one more time for us. This is what Paul talks about to the church in Galatia. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he references the fruit of the Spirit as he's talking now in Romans chapter 8. He's saying those who are suffering are patient, patiently waiting. They're joyfully waiting. They're faithfully waiting. They're lovingly waiting. They're peacefully waiting. The fruit of the Spirit being cultivated and growing within us and outwardly being used to encourage, to discern, to edify, to build. And it's powerful for us to think about that in our suffering as we are groaning inwardly, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, Paul talks about that in the next verse, verse 26. In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is my favorite role of the Holy Spirit. The one who intercedes for us in our suffering, in our loss, in our addiction, in our hurt, in our anxiety, in our depression, thoughts of suicide, self-harm, in our abuse, in our pain, in our turmoil, in our waiting, in the unknown, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us 
in our suffering through wordless groans. You may be sitting there thinking like, what does that sound like? What does that look like? And then some of you who perhaps have lost a loved one and have cried out grieving and, and groaning and shouting or perhaps even sitting there in silence, you know. You know what it feels like. For when we do know, not know what we ought to pray for, the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. Another way I want to word it and throw it on the screen is this. When our suffering is silencing, the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. There was a time in 2019 where I was having a panic attack. Uh, and and it, was, it was just, I just taught a sermon that morning Marissa and I uh, were resting after service. She was asleep. I was on the couch watching football, and all of a sudden, I just became so overwhelmed and exhausted and uh, uncomfortable with anxiety, and it just hovered over me, and I began weeping and panicking, and then all of a sudden, I began groaning out in the spirit, and it was just this, this deep and this dark and this painful realization that I didn't have the words, but God was speaking on my behalf. When life is hell, where is God? Verse, uh, verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then one of the most popular verses, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called and who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That verse that we've seen and that we've used and that we've talked about, it's this, it's this passage that's important for us to be reminded of that when the loss happens, the unexpected tragedy that makes no sense on earth, where is God? There's the Spirit who intercedes for us. And here's why I love this, friends, is because when, like, I, well, like we talked about in the last three weeks, when we have God, when we believe that God is king and we have sacrificed our life for him. We have given our life over to him. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, living inside of us. And so when we suffer, when we experience tragedy, when we are battling addiction, when we are battling loneliness, God battles with us. Here's what's so important that I want you to understand. You don't have to necessarily call on God to come to you. I think that makes us feel better of just saying, God, please come here. Please be with me. God is with you. And so understanding and recognizing that you literally have God living inside of you, with you, walking, battling, interceding, praying, fighting on your behalf, not over there, but with inside of you, it is a game changer. A game changer. So back to the original question that I asked at the beginning. When life is hell, where is God? When suffering hits, where is God? When heartache hurts, where is God? 
When your spouse has an affair, where is God? When you are the spouse who has an affair, where is God? When pornography is running rampant in your life, where is God? Where is he? Church, he's here. He never left. He is inside of you, walking and interceding and praying and breathing and alive and active. He is encouraging and discerning and, uh, and, and uh, uh, walking in such a way that we can't even explain. You don't have to enjoy suffering. Every time I teach on suffering, I remind our church that suffering sucks. That's why it's called suffering. <laughs> and then I make the joke, if it wasn't suffering, it'd be called Chipotle. Like, those are the two options. You've got ultimate joy and ultimate hell clashing. I think that's what, in Revelation, when we see the final battle, is going to be the president of Chipotle going up against the enemy. That might be heresy. Don't <laughs> quote me on that. <laughs> but you don't have to enjoy suffering. In fact, you might be a little bit crazy if you do. But you're going to suffer. When you suffer with God, there is hope. When you suffer without God, it's hopelessness. I was asked a question a couple years ago uh, from, an, from an individual who was on the fence about believing in God. They're like, my life has been hell. With or without God, I have, I have experienced cancer. I've experienced loss. I've experienced addiction. I have been abused sexually from a young age. If God is good, where is suffering? Or sorry, if, 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 yeah, if God is good, then why is there suffering? And they ask me, how do you believe in God? Why do you believe in God? I'm like, friend, you have experienced that without God. I've experienced a very similar story of losing my dad at a young age to mental health, thoughts of suicide, self-harm, anxiety, depression, broken relationships. I've had a sister who has been sexually abused. I've had another sister who's been harmed by the church and has uh, walked through doubts. I've had uh, a brother who's, who's been, um, who, who attempted to take his life. You've experienced all of that without God. I've experienced very similar things with God. And the difference why I hold on to God is because I have this everlasting hope and joy that I can't explain because of the fruit of the Spirit. I've been asked multiple times, like, if you could have your dad back, would you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because the growth and the joy and the life I have experienced since his loss is irreplaceable. Now I miss my dad, sure. But there's too much work to be done here to change things in the way that they used to be to try to bring back what was. 
So yeah, you don't have to enjoy suffering, but you need to reap the benefits of suffering. And so at the beginning, I said, what about this question? If God is good, why does suffering exist? I said that question is unhelpful. The question we should be asking is if scripture tells us that suffering is good, then where is God? That's the more helpful question, church, that I want you to be thinking about. If suffering is good, Peter talks about this, that suffering leads to endurance and endurance to character and character to perseverance and talks about all of this that leads to faith. And if this is where God is, if suffering is good, then where is God? We're told all throughout scripture that suffering is good. Suffering leads to fruit and to faithfulness and to uh, just cultivating new heaven on earth. Suffering is good, where is God? And again, friends, the answer is simple. God is here. And when you truly believe that, no matter what you walk through, no matter what you experience, no matter what you are battling, navigating, whatever decision you have to make, when you are truly understanding of that truth that God is here. He never left. The heartache didn't replace him. In fact, he was with you in the storm. It's a game changer. And you will be filled with this hope and this indescribable joy of the good God who saves and who groans and who weeps and who mourns but also rejoices with us. That's the Holy Spirit. So here's your next step for this week. Invite the Holy Spirit to intercede for you in your suffering. There's two types of people perhaps here today. Those who are going through hell and those who have walked out of hell. This message is beneficial for both of your groups. If you are going through hell right now, allow God to walk with you through groans too deep for words. If you've exited hell and you are thriving right now, what does Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2? Carry each other's burdens. Walk with those who are weeping. Mourn with those who are mourning. Give toward those who are struggling. And watch God work. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, when there is sickness, when there is turmoil, when there is heartache, when there is brokenness, when there is suffering, you are God. And if we are told that suffering is good, then we have to hold on to the truth that you are here the role of the Holy Spirit to intercede for us when we don't know what we ought to pray for. It's a powerful promise. And then in verse 28, where Paul says, God, and just reminds us that you will work all things for your good, we hold on to that truth today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, hey, friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Next week, Brad and I are kicking off our series called Be Rich. If you remember last year, we spent the month of October raising a ton of money and then we gave it all away. And a lot of you were a part of that. We partnered with the Shepherd's House downtown Fort Wayne. We raised $40,000.
and over 300 items. And we gave 100% of it away to the shepherd's house during that month of October. It was incredible. And so we're doing it again this year. We're partnering with Youth for Christ's ACJC ministry. Okay, their juvenile justice ministry. We're going to be raising a ton of money to be able to help with bus passes, uh, gift cards, to be able to uh, provide counseling services for those who are incarcerated, uh, next steps counseling for those who get out of incarceration. Uh, we're uh, going to be uh, sponsoring trips for those who can't afford to go to their camp every year. And that's going to be 90% of what we raise. Then 10% of what we raise, we're going to be giving to our missionaries that we're excited to officially start partnering with, with the Church of God Anderson uh, through Global Strategy uh, the Tatmans, who are over in Europe right now. They are the regional directors of the Church of God Anderson in Europe. Uh, they oversee, Michael, I'm going to mess this up, so correct me after service. Over 80 churches, I believe, um, over there with, uh, you know, in, in 12 different countries. And so 10% of what we raise is going to be directly donated to them. Bridge Kids is also going to be collecting a ton of food items, and then we're going to bag them and then give them to the homeless in downtown. And so we are partnering with so many different places and, and, and people and pieces. And our goal, we're not going to put an amount on it. Our goal is 100% participation from our church. Whether it's $5 or $5,000, whether it's a box of granola bars or it is a bus pass, whatever it might be, next week we are kicking off our campaign. And then October 22nd, we're going to do a worship service Sunday morning to wrap it up. And I could not be more excited for that. So... Uh, that will kick off next week. Hey, friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great rest of your Sunday. If you were new or visiting, I'd love to get to know you in the back, and we'll see you next Sunday.